And, and I think that's a way that you can continue to maintain squat progress while taking some pressure off of the knee. Welcome to Training Room Talk, powered by Precision Performance Physical Therapy. Here we will discuss all things related to physical preparation, including rehab, performance, and education. Hey guys, welcome back to Training Room Talk powered by Precision Performance Physical Therapy. My name is Dr. Max LePage and I am here with Dr. John Herding. Hey guys, how are you? Dr. Nisha Meyer. Hello. And Dr. Troy Cuck. What's up guys? And we're going to be doing our second episode, which is going to be the first kind of discussion around the modifications that you would want to make to movements or the movement variations that you would select when trying to return to lifting or while trying to lift around an injury. So this is kind of the return from rehab series episode two, where we'll be talking a lot about the lower body push movement, which when you're thinking of that, you're thinking of things like squatting, split squatting, lunging, anything where you're pushing with your lower body, this would be contrasted from a lower body pull in which you're thinking more of like hip hinge dominant deadlifts and uh, single leg RDLs and things of that nature. Obviously it's important to acknowledge and I think all of us probably agree it's not always a clear line about whether something is a lower body push or pull. It does occur on somewhat of a spectrum. For example a sumo deadlift that's going to fall somewhere in the middle of like a lower body push and a lower body pull. So when we're talking about all this stuff, we're, we're going to be making some generalizations about the dichotomy between what is a push and a pull. But when we're thinking about it, we're referring to push, typically more squat, split squat type of pattern. Um, the other disclaimer that's important to make as we're getting into this conversation is that we're speaking on behalf of generalizations that don't apply always to the individual with their own pain, their own discomfort. So if you're having pain or discomfort with certain movements and you haven't been evaluated by a qualified physical therapist who's familiar with those movements and with your goals, then I recommend that you reach out either to us at Precision Performance Physical Therapy or if you're somewhere outside of the area um, of Pennsylvania, then we can try to hook you up with someone in your area that um, is qualified to kind of address those things for you. So those are the disclaimers for today's conversation. Um, and we're going to get into, like I said, those modifications to the, the squat pattern. So another consideration as we get into the conversation is going to be, well, what are some of the typical things that might be bothering me that would lead me to have to modify my squat pattern or my lunge pattern. And we're going to be thinking about three very broad concepts, but these ideas are going to apply regardless of what the specific injury or the specific pain that you're having is. Those three things would be generally seen as an anterior knee pain or pain at the front of your kneecap, typically right below your kneecap. We would tend to call that a patellar tendinopathy, kind of a, an overuse issue that can be symptomatic when you squat. Oftentimes people will also get an anterior hip pain or kind of a pinching sensation in the front of their hip, which will limit them in their ability to squat effectively. And then obviously the fairly common and well-known low back pain, which can interfere with lots of things. But again, talking in the context of lower body push squat type movements today. So those are the three things that we'll kind of keep in mind as um, drivers for why we might need to modify this pattern. 
Um, and then I'm going to open the floor up to any of you guys who, if you want to start with um, sharing your thought process on how you go about modifying these movements for someone who has goals that require them to be able to do those effectively or that they have goals specifically in those movements. Yeah, so um, I'll start with that, Max, Dr. John Herding. Um, I think sometimes it depends on the acuity of the injury. Um, you know, we're all, we all love to keep people moving through the injury process to keep them on their performance progress. Um, but sometimes there are definitely times where you need to just back off a of movement completely. Um, but it's always a gray area with tendinopathies, especially, or low back pain or whatever. Um, there's usually a way that you can find a way to load what you're trying, like in this specific instance, uh, like quads might be the primary pusher of the lower extremities. Um, there's usually a way you can load that. Um, but the gray area I'm speaking of is whenever, like there, especially if it's a tendon injury, you need to be able to introduce load at the appropriate volume and intensity to get the tendon to adapt to being able to tolerate stress at some point. So if it's an acute flare-up where the tendinopathy, like if it's anterior knee pain is really, really bothering you and you need to take a step back, that might be appropriate. Um, but if it's just the, you know, anterior knee pain that hurts you at a five or six out of 10 level, like you might wanna actually engage that pain a little bit to help to get it to um, rematrix some of the tissue to be able to tolerate tension. Um, so that's where the skill of a clinician in that gray area of adaptation comes into play and in how you structure your exercise selection. Yeah, right? so let, let's take a practical example and, and kind of apply some of those concepts. So say you have someone coming to you who is engaging in barbell back squats on a consistent basis. It can be either a power lifter who squats for their sport or a football player, baseball player, whatever it is, they're mm -hmm. squatting on a regular basis. And they've had an acute flare-up of pain in the front of their knee that will classify as a, a patellar tendinopathy. They took two weeks off. That pain has kind of diminished. They don't have it on a day-to-day. But now they're ready to start to reintroduce load. What might you go about selecting in terms of movements as you start to, to try to load that tendon? So initially, the easy one, if they're married, and a lot of these programs are married to squatting, like bilateral squatting, then just front squat or a goblet squat. I mean, not many places have access to a belt squat, but initially, if you're talking about a high school football player, like just anterior load a little bit that helps, um, and maybe even anterior load and throw their heels up on plates or something, right? Okay. And, and I think that's a way that you can continue to maintain squat progress while taking some pressure off of the knee. Um, if the coaches aren't married to a bilateral squat pattern, then you can go a rear foot elevated front squat or you can go front foot elevated, or split squat, sorry, rear foot elevated split squat or front foot elevated split squat. And we all know that you can load those up pretty heavy to get a great um, stimulus to build quad strength when you start to go into split stance activities. Yeah. So it sounds like what you're saying, and this may baffle people or blow people's mind, is that uh, you can actually use the squat to address the squat. Mm -hmm. And maybe you modify it with shifting anteriorly, either the load while holding it in your hands or in a front squat position or applying some kind of an elevated heel to shift them anteriorly in the first place to direct some of that load to the quad. 
it sounds like you're saying that that would be useful for someone who is specifically squatting for whatever reason they want to bilateral back squat or or front squat if they're a weightlifter mm -hmm. and if not they can equally use a split squat or a rear foot elevated bulgarian split squat to start to load that tendon is that correct yes okay and then what what might give you insight on whether or not someone is loading not enough and can load more or is loading too much well so initially we follow protocols that use pain as a guide a little bit right and we say if you can if it doesn't creep above a five out of ten that's an appropriate load intensity to continue to challenge the tendon to rematrix and um, and heal um, so use, we're using pain as a measure we're using rpe as a measure too where you want to leave a couple reps left in the tank so if you're working out at a rpe of seven or eight and then the pain doesn't go above a five out of ten that's usually let's continue to load that a little bit but if it starts to creep the pain starts to creep up higher then maybe, maybe we take a step back um, mostly with weight is i think how we're mostly altering that first and then cutting the volume if we need to okay and in that individual who you're starting to reload with a split squat or or a um, belt squat or goblet squat or whatever kind of loading movement that you used obviously this is a generaliz generalization but are there any things that you would expect that that problem that person also probably had in terms of deficits that you would feel likely to address i'm thinking things like you know limited ankle range of motion or do you expect that person to have poor motor control in the squat what might be some other things that you would anticipate having to address in that individual that you might use assistance or variations to get at if any I think I tend to look at things proximal to distal, right? So first, for me, it would start at how their torso, their rib cage, and their pelvis are positioned, because then I think a lot of things just feed forward down the chain, right? Like you mentioned, like ankle dorsiflexion, whatever, but a lot of times you can clean some of that up with proximal position. Um, so I'm looking at hip mobility. I'm looking at their ability to maintain rib cage position during the lift, um, and then I mean, quite easily, you can clean up ankle dorsiflexion stuff to keep people lifting through an injury by put it, elevating their heels, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe that's something, a lot of times, it's not the first thing I go to because I try to clean up things proximally, um, keep them squatting with their heels elevated, and then address ankle dorsiflexion if it continues to need to be addressed. Okay, so not necessarily any specific um deficit that you anticipate having to address with certain assistance exercises or certain variations but more of just loading a good quality pattern that addresses that tendon capacity in a way that they're cleaning up some of the maybe other technical issues that might be contributing yeah because i think we've talked about it before on this podcast is if you the way we are addressing things in this clinic a lot of it's position will dictate muscle function and stability and then from there you build strength and power and even position will dictate muscle strength just because of position of muscles. So position first, then stability strength kind of fall into place. Strength's easy. You just takes four, six, eight, 12 weeks on a program to build strength. But the challenging part is the position and stability. Then strength and power kind of come easy. Right. Yeah. And that's why it's great to get looked at by a credentialed physical therapist or a strength trainer to find some of those imbalances whether it's positional or muscle length or range of motion in the ankle anything like that so that you can 
devise a nice warm-up plan so that you're able to work position, you're able to work quad length flexibility or ankle range of motion. So even if you do have limited dorsiflexion in the ankle, say, you can elevate your heels and continue to squat, but you can also throw in something like a eccentric calf loading or a banded ankle mob and a warm-up so that, you know, in the long run, you are able to pull the plates out from underneath your heels if you wanted to so that you're able to clean up some of those deficits. And say you're looking at a quad flexibility issue. If you hit some of the proximal orientation and positioning in the pelvis, and that helps clear it up some, but you still have like a limited prone heel to butt and you have tight quads, you can throw in like a quad Nordic or rear foot elevated split squat as a warm up to help, you know, get you ready for that squatting pattern and work on that tissue length as a warm up. Yeah, on another note, we started to touch on it, but I think as equal as it is important to be able to know how to modify things like three up, three down based on how you're feeling, it's also as equally important to understand the very confusing part about pain. And that's definitely a huge role PTs have and telling someone, just like John was saying, it's appropriate to load this, you may be feeling this discomfort, that can be okay and just that reassurance because it really is kind of trial and error in the beginning to kind of find that person's baseline of how are they responding to this. Things are looking good, you may have some symptoms, but that could change within each rep, within each modification. It's just important for each person to understand what they're feeling. Right, and and I think that like with so many discussions that you see regarding these topics, when we look at what are the things that we're doing, what's the goal of some of the interventions that we have, And it's important to delineate whether something is to exclusively address the pain experience versus address performance, and then maybe as a byproduct, prevent or reduce the likelihood that someone would experience pain down the road. And like John noted with the improving the tendons capacity, the tendons tolerance for load, you know, reorganizing the matrix as a result of that loading will probably be the thing that's directly influencing the pain from the tendon um, and then clearing some of the other stuff up like Troy said will allow you to maybe move in a way that's more conducive to preventing or reducing any risk of reoccurrence of that pain down the road Um, so someone with anterior knee pain I feel like maybe should have an understanding of how we would approach that at this point what might be the differences when you're looking at reintroducing a squat pattern to someone who either has or has just come out of an anterior hip pain, kind of the hip impingement-y type of of discomfort. So for this one, I would say what I've been finding is the proximal orientation of the pelvis. I've been finding a lot of times if you're able to clean up some of that anterior pelvic tilt, help bring them back, help them find hamstring and glute to help bring that back, and you go through a tempo squat while maintaining that posterior tuck, you can clear up a lot of that hip impingement almost on the spot. Do you think that, and this is, this is an interesting topic of conversation, do you, because in the weightlifting world, oftentimes the Olympic weightlifting world, oftentimes people will say, we want global extension, full extension throughout your whole spine and anteriorly tilt your pelvis, they'll be super extended. Then you shift more towards the powerlifting world or, or thought process when it comes to squatting. And it's a lot more like tuck the pelvis back, posteriorly tilt, 
like neutral spine type of concept and you have these conflicting worlds and i i find that um, in looking at folks who come from maybe a more weightlifting or crossfit background they'll almost intentionally tilt their pelvis anteriorly because they feel like they they're trying to avoid that butt wink at the bottom of the squat and then they can run into some issues just because it's almost like you're trying too hard to be in a position you're not letting your pelvis maybe sit in a more biomechanically or more natural kind of orientation and you're you're almost impinging on yourself what do you guys think about that idea of people forcibly putting themselves in a certain pelvic position when maybe they should either learn to or allow themselves to posteriorly tilt and clear some of that like troy was alluding to yeah i mean i think that um in my experience and i think most impingements are more functional than an actual anatomical change in structure. So like what Troy was saying, I think a lot of times if you can get a person to kind of rotate their hip off of their femur and learn how to control that, then they can be pretty successful in a rehab program. Um, I mean, of course, there are hip impingements that are structural in nature and those need to be cleaned up. But in my experience, most of the time, it's more of a functional position problem that we're dealing with. Um, I think a lot of like people chasing weight, especially for performance and some of those in weightlifting and powerlifting, especially weightlifting, there's definitely people that lift more than could be appropriate as they're chasing performance goals. But, and I don't think that's necessarily a problem. I think it's, are you doing the things outside of the, the training reps, your working sets that are actually setting you up and taking drops of water out of the bucket? Like, are you starting to superset those with something that might improve position before you go pull a lift? Are you, what's your warm up look like? What's your cool down look like? What's your recovery day look like? Um, so I think, and it's, I, I see this with a lot of females that are strong, but they can't support the weight in a stable position. So they, they're stronger than they should be. And it's just a matter of time for a lot of them. Does that right. make sense? Yeah. Are, are there any specific drills or ways that you go about initially trying to teach someone to change the position of their pelvis while they're squatting or doing whatever it is they're doing that's symptomatic yeah i mean generally it's it's actually learning how to control spine flexion spinal flexion right because um a lot of those olympic weightlifters especially they're driving lumbar extension and anterior pelvic tilt so now it's teaching them to actually posterior pelvic tilt and control a little bit of spine flexion um, so we will go towards drills towards that again, not necessarily because we want them lifting on the platform at nationals like that, but how do we take drops of water out of the bucket? So they're not doing a thousand reps of, um, spinal, spine extension, anterior pelvic tilt, but they're also throwing in some spine flexion to promote variability of movement. What might be like a drill or an exercise that you would use to start to teach that I'm thinking like a 90-90 hip lift, a bridge, or would you try to first teach that in the actual squat pattern that they're doing? No, I mean, well, the, the first one I use a lot is like a 90-90 hip lift with a bridge with the reach. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because cause a lot of them, they'll drive anteropelvic tilt, lumbar extension, they'll have flat T-spines, their shoulder range of motion might not necessarily be where they, because they're not necessarily always driving shoulder protraction. So a 90-90 hip lift with a reach, we'll get shoulder protraction, a little bit of um, T-spine flexion, a little bit of lumbar flexion. Um, they'll get their hamstrings underneath them to get their hips underneath them. So for me, that's a good catch-all that a lot of lifters see a lot of good progress that will clear a hip impingement, 
um, if they put that in their warm-ups or they're throwing in a set or two between working sets. Perfect. And I think it is good to start on the table and start in like a supine position. You get a lot of feedback from the table and if you get the feet elevated, it can almost force you in, into the position. So it's good to kind of dial that down and be like, okay, you felt what I want you to feel and find that position. Now let's try it standing and in a squat so you have an idea of kind of where I want you to be. Yeah, I was about to touch on that. I think it's a little less daunting instead of having someone worry about all these different movements, full body, and to just say, okay, I just want you to get this right. Let's set the foundation and really focus on, like Troy said, feeling that emphasis on the table and that support and then going straight to something functional. I always think the warm-up should be paired with what you're going to do or at least if it doesn't look like that, someone should educate you about why are we doing this. You shouldn't just be randomly on the table and then doing something that's not related. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think that uh, the important distinction between just doing a table exercise and improving someone's performance is using that as a, a learning opportunity that you will then follow up and transfer to the lifts that are actually important to them and see if those um, changes in the position are, are carrying over to the things that they actually want to do. Um, before we let people go, I want to do, um, I want to speak a little bit to low back pain just because that's probably going to be one of the most common things that um, are at least prevalent in limiting people from squatting or from performing those movements. So I'll open the floor to any of you if you want to talk a little bit about what are the things that you consider when it comes to low back pain, which is a behemoth of a, a topic of conversation. But in terms of working around it or reintroducing squat patterns after someone's gone through or is going through some low back pain. Yeah, so we've kind of touched a little bit about how um, people just will move different following an injury, but I think something that's really important besides just apprehension of movement is the education behind like graded exposure and like slowly building that resiliency back for someone, especially with low back pain. Because I typically see a lot of acute low back pain that happen because someone will pair it to a very specific event. A lot of the times, sometimes it's one event that it may seem is the main driver, but there's a hundred different things that are going on, whether that is sleep, stress, it could be related to training load, it could be all those things added up. And so for me, a huge thing is just watching them move and that may start as just that movement at the table and then trying to get them to feel more comfortable. Even if the weight is really light and we're just easing into that hip hinging deadlift form, it's all about that conversation of like, how do you feel during this? And just breaking that fear away from going back into those lifts. Yeah, and I think low back pain with a, a lower extremity push, it can be really easy to train through that if you just adjust the load, right? A front squat, um, you can, you know, if you say you're someone that back squats 300 pounds, you can load anteriorly with a weight that's less, but um, equally hard. You can play with the tempos. Or right away, you can go into a split stance and do a front foot elevated split squat with, you know, even if you're going 70s in each hand and playing with tempo, like that can still be a really a challenging exercise to help you maintain strength for when you can return to back squatting if that's your sport. Yeah, no, absolutely. There's there's a ton of variations like you guys mentioned in in an effort to continue to get a training effect that can allow you to do so. I think 
one of the points that I find particularly important for folks, especially when we, we're not looking at weightlifters, crossfitters, powerlifters, who are married to those lifts is like, what is the goal of your training? If the goal of your training is to have legs that you know you feel are aesthetically pleasing, to build some muscle, to be generally strong and resilient, it's okay for you to back away from certain movements, reintroduce them in a graded exposure way, like Nisha said, and this is where my bias comes in, but it's okay to do a leg extension, to do a hamstring curl, and to do a leg press to continue to get a training effect. If you feel like the things that you were doing previously, squatting, deadlifting, or whatever other lower body push movements, obviously deadlifting wouldn't be one of those, but, if those things are just you're just not in a position where you feel confident in reintroducing those it's okay to switch to more isolation type movements and then reintroduce those other things over time as you're able to um, depending on what the goal is you might be a little bit less flexible if your goal is to squat Um, in that situation we may favor some of the stuff that john said the front foot elevated split squat and those things Um, but it's always important to keep in mind the goal of your training when it comes to exercise selection and how much flexibility you can give yourself in modifying or selecting other things Um, so hopefully that gave you guys some good insight on some of the common issues that you may be dealing with that might limit your ability to squat or perform lower body push movements in general and hopefully you have some insight again on how to modify those movements to continue to get a training effect and like we said at the beginning obviously this is a general conversation that's just looking at modifying these movements as a population level on a whole and for very broad diagnoses every individual has their own experience and own things that they may need to address and if you feel like you're not confident in addressing these things on your own or you feel like you need guidance from a healthcare provider, feel free to reach out to us at Precision Performance Physical Therapy. Um, If you guys just want to drop your email and social media so people can go follow you or get in touch with you, um, go ahead and do so, John. Uh, John, J-O-N, at precisionperformancept.com. Instagram. Um, John Herding underscore DPT. Maybe. Nisha, N-I-S-H-A, at precisionperformance.com, and then Nisha Meyer, N-I-S-H-A-M-E-Y-E-R, dot D-P-T. My email is the same, just Troy at Precision Performance, and then my Instagram is Troy.Cuck, K-O-C-H, dot D-P-T. Cool, and I am MaxLePage, dot D-P-T on Instagram, and the email is Max at precisionperformancept.com. Um, So feel free to reach out to us. Hopefully everyone's staying safe, staying healthy, and we'll talk to you guys in the next episode. Bye. Did you know we now offer personalized remote programming, one-on-one video telehealth sessions, and mentorships for both students and professionals? If you're interested in any one of these, please email john at j-o-n at precisionperformancept.com and he can help you get started today.